0: If you're an Amazon Prime member, remember that you do have a free subscription to Twitch every month that can be used for this. And for those of you who are already subscribers, thank you again for your generosity. You may have heard the whispers of guardians gathering in the shadows, exploring the mysteries of this world and the worlds which surround us. We are all in search of truth. Sometimes we need to focus that search, focus that fire, and so we come together. Join us, join the discussion, welcome to Focused Fire Chat. Welcome back to episode 148 and a half of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on October 29th over on slash Focus Fire Chat. As always, I want to give a huge Should shout we call out to this our. side B, maybe? <laughs> I think we... Oh, you know, that's a great <laughs> idea. That is. Thank you for flipping your, de- your tape deck over. And. Um... <laughs>
1: Oh my oh gosh, my That's what that is an oh, amazing idea.
0: I'm going to write that down. We're going to start doing that for all our two-part episodes. <laughs> um, so, as always, want to give a big shout-out to our live chat here with us tonight. Thank you so much for joining us once again, especially on such short notice. Our topic for tonight's episode, as you can probably guess, is going to be a kind of a concluding look at the Maricena lore booklet. Uh, But first, let's run through a quick introduction for those on the show with us tonight. As always, this is your host, Blue Crew 86. Next up, we have our own master of social media, the one and only Green Eye Music Lover. Green, I hope you're doing well. How has the weekend treated you so far?
2: Uh, We hosted a champagne party like a tasting party because my sister's getting married next April and we needed to figure out some cheap champagne that didn't taste like utter trash. So we hosted a champagne party on Sunday and it turned out pretty well. We figured out that really money, the price of the champagne, it makes a difference only if you're drinking it straight. Mm -hmm. If you're mixing it, it doesn't matter.
0: No, it really doesn't. You know, but that's a very important thing to discover via the scientific method, and I'm proud of you for doing that.
2: Yes. We had six (laughs) people. We did a blind tasting, and it was awesome, and we may not have been able to taste things after a little while anyway, (laughs) so... It was good. I was I
3: was gonna say even if that for science is with alcohol, you know.
2: for science.
3: <laughs>
0: well, rounding out the usual team, we have the man who is known far and wide as the Destiny lore content cop, the one and only Beard Grizzly. Beard, how are you doing
3: tonight? I'm doing well. I'm I'm getting over, as I've, I've said a couple different places here. I'm getting over a migraine that I got hit with on Sunday. So. I'm uh, still recovering from that, but I guess that was just yesterday. At that point, it was a bad one. I haven't had I haven't had bad ones, there were ones that bad. I think for like six months. So I don't know Ooh. if it's the official change in the season or what, but uh, it was it was bad enough I had to call out of work. I'll put it that way. Oh man, yeah, that's
0: I know we I know we're going through season change right now here in the Midwest mm-hmm. and. The weekend was a bit yeah. brutal as well for just for even us and I don't normally even I don't even normally pay attention to it and I even I was like, Oh
3: my god, I'm dead So <laughs> It's starting to get colder out here fully at least, but uh that that's the thing that'll help me out, I think, as we go along a little more, but uh but yeah. Uh otherwise though, I've been I've been pretty good. Uh I am just about done every single entry within the lore books here finally, since Sunday had me flat on my butt, Uh, but I still have, I've only got like five entries left to go out of uh, Ghost Stories, and I'm all done, and I'm back to business as usual.
0: Very nice, very nice. Well, as as you can probably guess, this is going to be kind of a different intro, different episode bit, because normally we don't we don't have to do this but because of the just the the amount of information that's involved in the Mara Center, we kind of wanted to split it up just so we don't give we don't hit everyone with a 5 hour episode uh because honestly that's probably close to what would it would take to really give justice to the information that's contained here uh tonight's episode we are planning on starting off where we left off on the episode that was released actually this morning uh, on the 29th this morning which would be 148 so this is like beard had mentioned this is 148 side b uh, we are going to start i believe if i if i remember just from 2 seconds ago we're going to start with fidea side and we are going to try our best to get all the way through palingenesis uh, which will be the basically the latter half of the Mars Center lore booklet And I know that prior to show, for those of you who were uh, not in the live stream prior to that show, which the live stream, you know, as as we have kind of mentioned before, we will have that up as unedited behind the scenes on the YouTube channel if you have any interest in checking those out. So you might be able to check that out and see this chat. But we did mention that we are going to call out a couple more entries than we had originally intended. So keep keep the ear open on that one for this episode but with all that really being said, I'm not going to play any summary or intro uh, clip necessarily. But I don't know, Green, I'm just going to kind of hand it off to you to kind of get us back into the groove of the conversation that we were in uh, with the with a basic introduction to Fideicide.
2: OK, so Fideicide is kind of our first look at what happened after the Awoken woke up and established kind of their whole um, their whole code, I guess you can call it or the um, the tenets that they followed. So the things that the things that are most important that happen in this beginning of the is that we learn about a new faction within the Awoken called the Ecclesiast. And there is a new character type or character name called the Diasrim, and that name comes up a couple of different times throughout Fideaside and Infinite. and basically up until the Awoken decide to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mars like Fideicide One, is just a very basic introduction into the fact that Mara is kind of a. A hermit type character she is the in like not hermit as in she's literally bent over and like got the witch thing going on. it's more of she is out in the wilderness away from everything, out on her little mountain essentially and she's kind of the wise woman often away from everything mm-hmm. um there is the ecclesiastic I mean,
3: like, could maybe maybe she just straightens out over the course of time you never know
2: yeah I mean. Mara's got mysterious ways, so Mm -hmm, I mean, you mm -hmm. never know. Mm -hmm. Uh, The things that are most important for this side one is the fact that Mara's away from the hub of everything going on and we get the introduction of the diastrum, who is described as a woman out of the 891 who calls herself the diastrum. So if you remember from side A of this episode, the 891 were the original awoke, awoken crew members who were not in cryostasis when the change happened.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So that is also important. Um, beyond that, is there anything else in Fideicide one that you guys think is important to bring up before we move on to the second one?
3: Um, uh, go for it, Beer, go for it. The only major things that I was kind of thinking of, we see a little bit of talk about the ship spire. Uh, this, at least, I am assuming, is basically what is left of the Yang Lei Wei. Uh, it is basically what holds a lot of the technology that the uh, that the Awoken people kind of guide themselves off of. Mm-hmm. U uh, technology and whatnot is uh, is l- literally, for for translation's sake, in case anybody's curious. Utech means good tech. Mm-hmm. That's that's really it. Uh, there is also a little later we will get uh, understanding that there is Maltech, which is bad tech uh, or evil tech. I guess technically more than anything. Anyway, there's all of this stuff though at least kind of locked up within Shipspire. Uh, that makes it so that we are they the Awoken people don't have entire exposure to it, and there are certain peoples that are in charge of that stuff and they are called the UTEX. Uh, part of that was actually set up with the, the last entry that we had, did, uh, had covered with Extatiate. Uh, that was part of the verdicts a little bit. Uh, but the, the biggest thing, I think, and, and reason I, I wanted to highlight the ship's fire uh, is because there is technology out of there that we will hear over time uh, mm-hmm. that has developed and if uh, it evolves, etc., uh, over the course of that, uh, what we read with the rest of the Maricena, uh, so it's important to know where they're kind of getting that technology, at least.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I was gonna, I was gonna do a similar call out to the Shipspire because the Shipspire is ex- of extreme importance. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: it becomes super important uh, actually in the next card with the Phaedas, right, yeah, right? Yeah, right.
0: Um, and you and you see kind of what Beard was saying there, and we'll we'll definitely be mentioning it later all of the developments really kind of, especially at the beginning, kind of initiate from that ship spire. And that's because the ship spire is the, the ship, you know, is Exodus green or Langley hmm. way or whatever, whichever one, whichever name you want to take. Um, and yeah, we so still,
3: we still got to talk about that entire whole. Pile right. Right. Yeah. Me. yeah. Oh.
0: So like, so, and, <laughs> and it's weird too, because it almost, so, you know, it almost feels like the ship Spire, you kind of get this idea that this is the, and they mentioned this, I believe, in the Ecstatiate, I think this was a, a Samway, and Alice, this was kind of their argument, was they wanted to climb back up the tether to the yeah. the mother realm. This is, The ship Spire is that tether, is kind of the feeling that I get. So yeah. it's kind of this weird idea that this ship is like... I don't know, like, it's that it's that weird classic sci-fi trope of, like, a ship li- literally, like, stuck between two worlds. Or, you know, it's stuck in, like, the middle of a portal. And it's, mm-hmm. like, kind of... That's kind of the image that my head makes. I don't know if that was the intent of the writing. Um, but, like, it, I just get this idea of, like, this this spire ship. Yeah, Dino in chat is the... It, Langley Way was the mothership of the Exus Green Fleet. So it, it was a very... I mean this was a huge to to put it lightly huge ship. Um all There's the other some- all the other ships basically docked within this ship or had capacity to somehow com- to hook up to this ship. I mean it was a massive ship.
2: The description is in the the original uh Brafos. Brafos right yeah, it's not. It talks about the the size of Exodus Green a little bit, or Yang Leeway mm-hmm. specifically.
0: Yeah, and and so, but what I what I guess my my point here is too is to imagine this like this. Um, oh gosh, I keep wanting to reference Voltron. I don't know how many of you guys have seen Voltron. Um, oh, I
3: totally understand where you're going. Okay, so way.
0: you know the you know the home planet of Voltron, where mm-hmm. the the lions originated from. You know how that planet's kind of shaped. That's how yep. I see the ship spire like I see this kind of like dome/ slash comet looking thing and that that is sticking out of the ground and so this oh, this planet you're,
3: you're thinking Zarkons. Home yeah, world. Zarkon, Zarkon yeah. world, yeah. Okay. okay. Um
0: so that's kind of that's an a, a complete, you know, full disclosure, complete headcanon. Like, you know, just complete headcanon there. But that's just kind of like when I was reading it, that's kind of how I read it, and then when they're talking about the ship spire itself, I, and you'll, you'll see this in especially, I believe it is I 2 or I 3, they've actually built porches around different tiers of the ship spire. Um, and so you get the idea that not only is this a central feature of their culture, it's also a... Um, it's actually a a living space for uh, Mm -hmm. especially the queen of the, of the moment. So, you know, at first it's Alice Lee and then you'll get different Queens. Uh, I think Nginia pen and uh, Dev Natal are the two other ones that I know off the top of my head that get mentioned, but like, so, so it's a very, very central part. Now, as the, as the awoken civilization goes on, they actually go beyond that. Um, they, you know, they, there's a call out in one of the cards that we are going to get to near the end of this where they, they basically say, we are, we are well past the technology that was included in the shipspire, and yes. we are our own success. I, I love that card, actually. I love that card. Um, and you kind of see the breakdown between Utech and Maltech a little bit even more that way. But yeah, it, it, Ship Spire is hugely important to the distributary uh, Awoken. Mostly because it's like the the um, it's a it's a very hard anchor point to their original selves. Uh, It it contains the seeds from which their civilization sprung.
3: What uh, and I'll I'll round out where I'm thinking on this real fast too. But if we think about the watchtower uh, and what that looks like with having the portal on top of that, uh, it almost makes me think that it was like the watchtower was built in recognition or understanding Mm. of how Long Lai uh, Lai Wei was uh, built or was, uh, or in some relation to it. Uh, I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Probably really doesn't. But uh, for me, at least, that was the first thing I thought of. Because when I was reading this, I was thinking, oh, well, the distributary is technically like where the Dreaming City hangs out. And then I remembered, no, it isn't. No, no, it isn't at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, it sounded so familiar to that because they were also talking about it uh, being like a spear tip that popped out from the ground. Uh, and that's exactly what the Watchtower looked like to me. So like as a visual representation, either it was meant or not, I don't know. Uh, the Watchtower just feels so similar to me in that regard.
0: Yeah, and Dino is saying the the castle of lions is another thing that he was that they were thinking, and I was like,
3: yeah, you know, actually
0: that right. that makes sense as well.
3: Well, but yeah, the castle I, of lions makes sense as like a docking mechanism at the very least, but not necessarily in the same regard of what we're talking about here. Uh, in it's addition, true. there is also the other episode, just to kinda keep talking about Voltron, but there is an episode where there is a uh, a ship that's actually caught oh, between dimensions. Yes. Remember that one? Yes. So that's the that's the other one I was kinda thinking of as well. Uh, okay. And yeah. that was that was in due turn because of the uh, the comet that they actually had pieced mm. and, and pulled from it. Uh but half of that comet was actually what had birthed uh Voltron and then the other part got stuck between dimensions. <laughs> but uh yeah, I thought that was I, I thought that, that was the uh the yeah, way I, you completely, were go I completely it, forgot I like, about that oops. that that was a good episode too. But that yes, was such a yes. good all of a sudden it's like, wait, what's your name? You're not Shiro? Who are you? Sven? Are you kidding me? Oh great, there's a multiverse in Voltron. This is just what I needed. <laughs> uh sorry, Greg. We'll stop no, talking okay. about Voltron.
0: I was just it's I okay. will be okay. here that here for was another hour. That was totally the ship spire is totally I mean, I just I, I cannot harp on the importance of the ship spire enough When when yeah. it comes to this particular uh species.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. 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 Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, All mm -hmm. right, let's go
3: on to two, where we're going to be here for another hour.
2: So two is super important because it is the death of the, like the first death of the Awoken that we know about. It is a pretty big deal in so much as they actually host the funeral within the ship's fire. It's below the ship's fire.
0: If I remember correctly. It It was on the lake of of... something leaves. I just blanked. Yeah. The
2: funeral barge on the Lake of Leaves burst up in magnesium white fire. So it's far below the ship spire, but it's kind of in that same vicinity, which the ship spire, like they were talking about, is kind of the host of the the civilization in that area. Like everything goes through that. Not to pull Voltron back into it, because I, <laughs> yeah, I don't want... That to happen again, necessarily, I love you guys, but no, um but the first death happens it's one of the eight hundred ninety one fell, and they were shot by a matter matter laser
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's a type of maltech maltech yep. that we were talking about earlier well, keep
0: keep so, in mind that because that comes back actually when we start talking about impinent.
2: mm
0: mm-hmm.
2: yeah uh all the maltech was supposed to be locked up in the ship's fired vaults. Which is pretty important because if, if I remember correctly, that's part of the initial um, verdict. Verdicts, like not to harm another, essentially. Um, was, I don't think that was exactly the wording of it, but she, uh, Elise yeah, think- Lee, the first queen, locked it all up.
0: Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't necessarily a verdict about not harming each other but there was between the fourth verdict and the fifth verdict there was kind of that that or uh, yeah the fourth and fifth there was kind of that nod because it says utex must be heralded and heated and then also women should care and protect for men and the others mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so there was kind of a there was there was this kind of it's never explicitly stated but it's also uh they start talking about the wear guild uh, of the immortals and how you you truly can't live with the the realization of what you've done when you kill another immortal. Mm-hmm. Uh I think that's when I think that's in Phidias side too as well, uh where they mention like you you only only they can fathom the the price that must be paid if you kill another immortal like the the just the infinite um possibilities that you've canceled out and all that. Right. Uh it's just it's one of those things where it's like because it, it leads, and I guess we'll get into it a little bit, uh, with Fideaside 3, and I think it's Herosology, I think, is also where, it, but, um, where the Rhyme, uh starts even kind of backing off because of the the Were Guild just gets too much.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say this is the first time that they really called that out. Uh, in addition, I think that Alice Lee actually does mention that she had given, I forget if I don't know if you guys had mentioned this yet but alice Mm -hmm. lee had given uh some of those bosun lasers to select people that she felt she could not be without yes Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was to her basically to her greed and wanting to make sure that those people stayed alive that she handed those weapons out and instead ended up causing the death of another um
0: and actually to play mm-hmm. off that real quick beard that mm-hmm. is also the introduction of the difference between a paladin and a corsair
3: yes mm-hmm.
0: uh so we see we see here a corsair is just kind of like a free ranging uh almost like a pirate like i mean it's it's literally yeah. kind of a just like this gun for hire almost it's not but it's kind of like they just like there's they don't really owe anyone allegiance Or anything like that, whereas a paladin is basically individuals who are supposedly of uncorruptible character and loyalty to uh, basically the queen in general. Um, Though, again, the fact that one person has died from a matter laser means that one of those paladins, hint, 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 is not so uncorruptible. Yeah.
2: Yep. They actually went and got Mara. Like they went That's... and found Mara and brought mm-hmm. her to the funeral and everything. And there's a confrontation between Mara and Elise Lee. Um, yeah.
3: They, just... I, I love that Mara takes advantage of the situation, though. And she, she does, goes, though, in a lot of ways. Like she really does. There's no other way to put it. Uh, this, this boon that can be offered. Oh my later gosh, on, it's so great. Yeah. Just 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 keep that in mind this entire time of uh especially keeping in mind like tenant one of the uh of the awoken summarized again, which is the people were awoken and uh they were immortal, uh and that there would be no lies told among amongst the
2: awoken. Yeah, um, a good good paragraph to start that on is Elise thought Mara might say that. Elise also thought Mara might try to push her off the balcony, but she now knows that <laughs> that, that was a petty fear Mara, was I not love, the diastrem.
0: I, I do like the call out on that one. Like, I do I like she's like, eh, she could. No, nah, she wouldn't be because and she gives nod to the fact that Mara, even though Mara has different goals, right? And I think you mm-hmm. just said that, too. Even then, Mara understands the price of of taking a
2: single awoken awoken life. life. Uh huh. And then she just literally calls her out. Why do you love lies so much? And then this is probably response. This next paragraph is, I think, the crux of what Mara, how Mara works, because it tells you that it's not necessarily lies. At least in her her mind, it's not lies the pale radiance of Mara's eyes, the flush of violet stain around them, secrets. Even if everyone shared a single truth, all our minds would produce different versions of the truth. We speak these sub-truths, and like flowers of different seed, the sub-truths compete for the light of our attention. In time, only the fiercest and most provocative strains remain. They're not always the truest. Better to keep secrets, your majesty, better to tend to a great mystery— and so starve the flowers before they can grow. That is how I would be queen. And so it's the, it's the establishment of wonder that she really kind of sort of starts preaching in this. Is that she wants to keep things secret and mysterious. And eventually she'll set up her coven. We'll find well. out.
3: And ironically, if Alice Lee had remembered what she had told Tamara before all this happened, mm-hmm. she would have remembered that she was the one that set all of this up.
2: Yes, yeah, she was.
0: Uh so... real quick real quick before you jump on, I forgot to define that term that I just used. Uh guild it is something mm-hmm. that actually gets used elsewhere in Maricena and actually throughout the Awoken in general. Their culture mm-hmm. kind of mentions this a couple places. Uh, Weirgild is actually a derivative of a uh, Germanic term. It's uh, from old German law, and it's defined as blood money or the monetary value assigned to a person set according to their rank that's used to determine the compensation paid by the perpetrator of a crime to the victim in case of injury or to the victim's kindred in the case of homicide. So basically, it's a reparative payment that is determined and paid by those who cause harm or even death to another in the Germanic culture. Uh, And so it was actually... It was it was something that was very very common. I believe it was uh, da, 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 da. it's it's derived, it's the equivalent to "ver," which is man, and "geld," which is payment in German. Uh, and it's it's a it's a very old concept. I mean, it's like you know, from before eighteen sixty two. Really, we see this concept, but it is actually where where guild is actually a term that is legitimately present in reality. Um, I know that that has, I've seen a couple people bring it up before and I I used it without even thinking, but I wanted to kind of reach back and give a definition to that word. Um, And while I'm, while I'm giving to, or go for it, Beard.
3: I was going to say, ironically, you could have almost interchanged that word with what videocide is uh, because it's not in any accepted dictionaries from what I was able to really look around for. Uh, but what I have listed it is has said uh, loosely relates to being a killer of faith mm-hmm. uh, or one who breaks a truth.
0: Like an uh, iconoclast. Like,
3: yeah, yeah, kind of like that. Uh, but it was the closest definition I could kind of like pick through with kind of grabbing the base words of it. Uh, right. But I realized that we didn't define what fideocide mean, meant yet, but I figured good time.
0: Yeah, exactly. And two more terms really quick to define there. Uh, well, I don't. I don't know if we've heard the second one, but, uh, e- uh the Ecclesiast Ecclesiast, yeah. uh, this is, I, I kind of, uh, this is me kind of taking a little bit of a leap here, but I think that's a tie back to Ecclesiast, which is actually someone, uh, such as a priest who administers mm-hmm. a church, uh, which is often referred to as Ecclesia, uh, and it's usually seen in religious gatherings uh, or groups. So th- it's a very, uh, very, very somber, very, very someone who is very loyal to a certain organization. We're going to see if we haven't, I'm, I'm kind of going off my head right now, but I don't think we've seen it just yet. But we are going to see a term uh, sanguine, uh, which mm-hmm. is interestingly enough. Uh, the meaning of sanguine is anticipating the best, optimistic, confident, or full of hope. Uh, and so we're going to see with this upcoming event that I believe Green is going to get us to here in a second, uh, we're going to see a conflict rise up between the Ecclesiast and the sanguine. So just keep in mind those definitions. You have the the old traditional loyalist and the Ecclesiast, and then you have these these new optimistic uh, uh progressive minds in the sanguines uh, and kind of just keep that in the back of your minds when, when Green talks about the Theodicy War.
2: Mm-hmm. Which is in Phydeicide uh, Fideocide. There we go. It's like, that's not how you say it. It's not phytocide
1: fight
2: <laughs> We're fighting dogs, guys. No. Uh, the Theodicy <laughs> War is one, it is would you, is it the first one? I would say it's the first one. It's the first one mentioned as far as like civil war within the, Evokan- uh, the,
0: the theodicy war. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the first term. It's the first time that you see, uh, it's not the first disagreement, but it is, I, I almost say it's probably the only war. Mm hmm. Because I well, think
2: I there's think another the, one that happens afterwards. That's kind of an offshoot of it, but the the
3: others I would say are more skirmishes. I think, right. than I would say I, they are the Odyssey
0: wars War. Yeah, from. the Odyssey is like I mean, it's like it, it there's say it's the, it's the World War of the Woken. Right. Yes. And unlike humanity, they learned from the mistake of what happened, and Correct. they didn't repeat it. I mean, and that's and that's even called out. I think again in Palogenesis, or uh, it's. Uh, Catabasis, uh, Mara's speech about I think Dino quoted it earlier in chat about uh, we are our own triumph. Like that, I think is kind of what she's back re- back referring to is they learn. Like even though they disagree with each other, even though they have you know these these one off skirmishes, these assassination attempts that will you know we see an in impotent or impotent, um, they don't go to the level that they did in Odyssey Wars. And I think that's mar- largely because of kind of what we see in the, uh, Fideicide one. And then, you know, Fideicide three here is explaining this too. the, the cost is just not worth it. I think in their minds.
2: Oh no. but the thing is, is they are, and it, it was called out in, uh, Fideicide two is that the, the whole, um, crux of the start of this is the idea that supposedly Elise Lee is preventing the Awoken from ascending to a godlike state or preventing them from attaining their godlike state.
0: Yeah. She preemptively killed their godhood. Their yes. god, godliness I think is mm-hmm. they, they basically accuse her of deicide. Yes. Or the, the uh. Diasrim accuses her of deicide
2: which kind of kicks off this whole thing. And then once the war starts, people fight it for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, They call out an immortal's grief and murder's guilt left intended will never fade. Thus it became known to those who fought in the theodicy war that they had committed an incomparable evil. however, They could not confront their own responsibility, so they rose up in wrath against those who had given them cause, whether by caging them in flesh bodies or by drawing blood over grievance. The war continued by spear and bow and knife and scapel, by old machine and new invention. Ever did the diastrom's faithful call for the unawaring of Queen Elise So they're fighting this to try to remove the queen. And then now enters in the Diastrum's camp, Osana, which if you remember from side A, is Mara's mother. From prior to the transformation, she is also Mara's mother after the transformation. And Asana is apparently famed for her skill in negotiating, and she goes and she comes with Aldrin and wants to talk to surprise, surprise, Mara. And she wants to convince Mara of trying to help against this. Now, Mara remembers how the queen led us us here out of chaos and saved us from the twin blindness of darkness and light. Mara knows what the queen keeps secret. Mara has seen the strife in our souls, the clash from which we were made. We could not even have been gods with this flaw in us. Rather, we were made from this schism for all life is born from energy gradient as life in the world before was born from the gradient between hot proton wrench, rich vent water and cool seawater we were born of the shadow, shadow line at the edge of light and dark we're the tremors in that fault forever that schism led us it if you can't tell a lot of the text of Mara's, specifically speaking, is very poetic and has a lot of things to dissect. You almost want to take a, a poetry, like um, like you're dissecting poetry to figure out what's being said. But Mara, Mara knows what's going on. She knows all the secrets. She because Mara was the first, and the ecclesiasts were really upset about this heresy because this is not necessarily something that they thought was true to be true it, and they scattered to the points of the compass telling everybody they met and they want to kind of this starts an old grudge that comes up later on hmm. we'll see but uh osana spoke to the diastrom who was also heartsick from the killing and who longed to withdraw from the world and seek transcendence within. So in this card, we kind of start to see that Mara is not the diastrum if Osana is speaking with it, but theoretically could be the diastrum, but we kind of see that it's not at this point. Uh, And then there's the mention of the where guild for the murder of the immortal. And. Trying to see if there's anything else.
0: There is one In, thing uh, on one? For, for this is this is the moment. So the beginning of the Theodicy War is the moment where I had made that comment on on side A. I had made a comment about oh she's going to regret making this proclamation about secrets. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is where that happens because basically the entire the the shot that was fired that made this whole thing ign- just like it completely explode is the fact that, so you have the ecclesiasts are aligned with the Diashrim. Uh, the Sanguines are aligned with Alice Lee. So again, going back, remember those two different definitions. The Ecclesia, Ecclesiastes are very hardcore. Um, we're supposed to be deities and blah, blah, blah. And the Sanguines are more kind of the, you know, they're they're in the city. They're more uh they they follow what's known as the seventh verdict which to remind everyone woken don't owe, don't owe allegiance to anyone uh they are complete in of themselves um and so they and so the difference here is that the ecclesiasts are from the so like i said they're from the tribes of the forest uh there was a belief that they had been made out of the friction and that basically one day this conflict's going to be resolved like this is that is their belief uh, a and lot so
2: of the Ecclesiastes were of the forty thousand as correct. well. correct
0: it was a very large number um, in the cities however the sanguine were the ones who followed very closely to the seventh verdict which is that that basically said the awoken don't owe any debts they don't owe that they are they, they are created by a cosmic gift and they carried neither responsibility nor escon escaton um and so. So that's the that's where you get these two these two battling heads of of conflict here. Now, up until the Theodicy War fires off, really, they've just been arguing philosophy, like it's just been basically two competing schools of thought. However. What fires the first, like kind of what lights the fuse, is that the Deashrim goes to the sanguines and accuses Alice Lee of deicide, and that whole thing spins into, well, she was the first to awaken in the world, blah blah blah, and she chose how to create us. She chose to put us in the mortal forms and all this stuff. Well, Alice Lee, who is proposed or who is known as the Queen Without Secrets, has supposedly told all everyone everything about when she created them because she was the first she had not told them about this and all of a sudden doubt just explodes because all of a sudden they have this idea this fear that the queen without secrets had not only just kept a se- not only kept a secret but a secret of this level of this of this quote-unquote violence against their their godhood or godheadness um you know, and that's and that is where the kind of the the conflict ignites. Is they they have this desire to defend, and there's this there's there's a a very deep unsettled unsettlement right there. Um. So there's there's that whole thing, and and then of course once <laughs> it's it's like anything else. Once once something gets ignited, it's very hard to put it back in a box. Um, and that's where the Theodicy War really kind of took off, and then we get to where Greenhead mentioned just a, just a few minutes ago. Side uh, Three is where it's kind of now gotten to a point where it has gotten so out of hand that even the the uh, Diasrim uh, is like, I I'm done. Like I did not necessarily mean for this, um, you know, to happen. It takes and, on
2: its own. Right. It takes on its own beast. Becomes its own beast,
0: um, yeah. but and I think it's in it's it's not in Fideia Three, but it's very. It might be Heresiology.
2: Which part?
0: Uh, where the Diasrim goes to, actually speak to Mara. Uh,
2: Osana goes to speak to Mara in Heres uh, Heresiology. No, yeah,
0: Heresiology. Uh, uh, but the Diasrim craves secret knowledge, and she shot she sought Mara upon the mountaintop here she yeah. vanished if she was ever known again it was not by the name of Diasrim. now yeah that's Site 3 is the that's the very end of Site 3 and that's also the so the end of Site 3 is the Diasrim disappears and then uh, queen lee who basically who still was still was queen at this moment uh, but the guilt of basically the guilt of all the deaths and the war was such a heavy, heavy burden that she she actually abdicated to a new queen who was, I believe, Nagoya Pin. I think, is the one that came yes, after her. Yes, that
2: is the second queen, and we get introduced to her in imp- Imponent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, we get uh, Heresiology, which is Osana's um, confrontation with Mara and beer did you have anything on Fidea's side before we move on to hersiology?
3: No, we covered everything I was gonna
2: cool uh, there's two things of note in Horisiology. The first one is Aldrin and his bird, which this is probably the most endearing section I've read about Aldrin. Like, it makes me really sad and really happy for him at the same time. But uh, Aldrin is taking his bird with him to go find Mara with Osana, and the bird is not doing well. It's kind of on its last leg, and there's a line in here where basically uh, Mara accuses him, Brother, you kill- your eagle killed a parrot today. He had to hunt. You won't forbid him his last pleasures, will you? So. Aldrin is like making sure that the bird goes out and enjoys the last <laughs> little bit of its life, which is very sweet. It is.
0: And you also totally see the difference between Aldrin and Osana in this card. And it's, oh, am- gosh, it's yeah. amazing because Osana's just like, I'm done.
2: Like, <laughs> yeah. Osana say, just sits down and cries for Mara. Yeah, She's tired of searching for her. She pouts.
3: I'm going to say she just screams out like, I don't care if I'm immortal. I've had enough of this walking.
1: Uh
3: Uh Uh-huh. I
0: just just love the the image.
3: It's it's like the
0: second paragraph and it's basically, his mother is tired of walking, so she sits down on a giant melon and bellows not yells, bellows. Bellows.
2: Mara! (laughs) Yeah, basically. <laughs> she is so done at this point.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's like that was like the highlight of this particular entry for me was this like you you get a such a clear picture of the three of them, like their personalities. Like there's Mara and Aldrin, who I think later in this this card you Aldrin kind of nods the fact that Mara never answers a question directly. Um mm-hmm. and then <laughs> they so there's those two and then there's osana who's just like she just calls it kind of how it is and just
2: I, mara oh gets my, some pretty good digs on osana oh yeah no too. she does she does oh but i'm goodness. like
0: oh my god but like oh my gosh i love osana's personality
2: like the whole conversation starts with osana asking or mara asking osana what brings you to my little camp mother lies lies and secrets and the girl who didn't want to be my daughter who doesn't know the difference between them I know the difference between a girl and a daughter your daughter picks up your baton at the end of the race and goes on living the life you've taught her you wouldn't want that mother because then I'd be all your fault and it's like she's such a sassy teenager at this point still and Osana's like that's true but you know what I meant yeah, it, there's some really good moments here. And then Mara, Osana calls Mara out and says the ecclesiasts are her creation. The Diastrem was her pawn. She allowed the Theodicy War because she was afraid we'd be too comfortable here. Also, so Queen Elise would need her help politically. Mara couldn't afford to be the most radical dis- dissident. She had to seem moderate for her b- beliefs to thrive. Isn't that right, Mara? So. Osana basically knows what's up without really, like, having too much. She just knows her daughter well enough to be like, this is what's happening. She may may not directly be affecting all of this, but she pretty much just orchestrated it. And Mara doesn't exactly deny it, and she doesn't support it.
3: No, but it's that golden rule. Silence means acceptance.
2: yeah yeah, basically and then she kind of just totally just changes the subject
3: yep we have to go into town i have to sell some more maps out there because i i can't go out in space and let people you know see my my body while it gets affected by void space (laughs) I had to change what I needed to do in life, so this is what I'm doing now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The sinna is too powerful. Oh, oh
2: my God. God. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Next, Stop, please. please. Me! Oh. <laughs> I... Somebody else take the lead on this one. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna uh, head desk over here for a
3: little bit. All right. So, Infinite One, uh, we we start to kind of see some stuff about uh, who is actually taking over while there is no queen in charge. Because after Alice Lee actually uh, recants rescind, uh, or rescinds the throne, uh, there's not really a lot of power that's there. But we find that there's a group in charge of what's happening with the Awoken people uh still out of the capital. And it is the gent Scribes. This is the first real notion that we actually have of these guys outside of, like, well, Asher Asher-Mir was Man. one of them, and we had a couple of little bits and pieces out of Destiny 1 about them, but we never knew what was actually going on with them, and here we finally go. Uh, they mm-hmm. are an Awoken creation. Uh They actually do take down just a lot of, like, journals notes and everything like that um but they are more akin to storytellers than much else Uh, they also are very well aware of how uh or at least possibly how mara and her family may have actually orchestrated a good bit of the theodicy wars this actually leads into the character known as sure ido uh sure steps into the picture and everybody looks over at her and says what do you want? You're kind of big, hulking, mean, and we don't know what you need. Uh, she basically is clamoring for Mara's head because she feels she is the one that is effectively uh, the cause of her, uh, her mistress's death, uh, or at least gone missing, or that Mara had killed her. Uh, and this is the uh, diastorm. Uh, the diasrum was the one in charge of Sure because she is also an uh, uh So per that point, Mara is kind of the one that Sure uh, is blaming, and she goes Sure uh, goes to the scribes to be like, "Where is she? Let me hunt her down." Now, uh, Sure
2: so or Sure Sh- or however we're gonna pronounce it is also a paladin of the yes. first queen. I was getting there. I, um, I like this part of the story. It's I'm the beginning fine. of a love story, okay? But you you handed this off to I me. Know. So, gosh. I know. I <laughs> know. And uh, we're getting yelled at in chat by Blue for not mentioning the Maltech.
3: I mean, yes, and I was also getting there. God, you're
2: you're both so impatient with me.
3: <laughs> uh but no, the The whole concept here that we do see uh, is just the simple fact that like, Jure is uh, is popping out from uh, from the woodwork and is basically just crying out for vengeance at this point towards Mara, uh, which we we find over time is kind of a very complicated situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we of course do see that Sure is also in possession of uh, a multec laser uh, and. Per this discussion, per where we were at, we didn't know that there was anybody else that had one, uh, but we also knew that there there was somebody within the ranks of the uh, Eccleists, that I stumble over that word all the time, um, that had that Moltec laser, as we uh, had said before. Uh, That being said, it's at least assumed that Jura was the one that ended up uh, pulling the trigger and having killed uh, one possibly more paladins that were around Alice Lee at the time uh, but it gave the it gave their their side a little bit more power just because of that uh, kind of technology uh, but as it is noted as Green had said too she does wear the uh, the is it eight star eight star crest of the paladins yeah the crest uh, of the eight mm-hmm. stars I think yeah I, I can't remember exactly what it was now I, I I think it's eight I want to I want to say either seven or eight but I believe it's eight uh, Yeah, because it's the original eight verdicts right and at that point that's where i uh you know we we kind of know that she was in service to to Alice at one point and then she split off uh, and went on with a with a different uh, with a different teacher different leader uh, and that was the diaphragm uh, so the moment that she kind of like others are starting to put two and two together that Mara seems like she had a hand with it. Uh or at least is as as sure is kind of figuring here, she's the one that at least is responsible uh for the death of the diocesan, uh, or the at least understanding that the diasrim is now missing. Uh there is no full confirmation of death as far as we know, but Sure is very very well figured that uh, she's dead or that she got killed.
2: And if you remember, the tried said back in a few cards ago that she was wanting to essentially disappear. She wanted to get out of the whole scene because she didn't feel like the ecclesiast were really following what she was hoping, and she didn't want all that death on her hands anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness.
3: Yeah, I, I, for, for somebody so simple-minded, quote unquote, and used loosely, uh, sure's character is a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So keep that open mind as we kind of go along and talk real about quick. her. But she's so cool.
0: Yeah, real quick to kind of t- jump off that not, uh that comment. Um, <clears throat> when, when they, so the scribes had given her permission to go hunt. Uh, Mara, and then she interrupts, she basically interrupts a party at the Queen's Palace.
3: Yes.
0: (laughs) And all the scribes are like, oh no. Oh no, this is not how we expected this to end. And they go to the historians, and they're like, oh, um, can you calm her down? Because she seems a little pissed. And because she is. And they ask... They ask who she is, and they say, oh, she was one of Queen Alice Lee's paladins, but she was an ecclesiast you believe that we would one day be called to repay the gift of our awakening. And the scribe's response is, would she defy the queen's protection and murder a guest of the court? <laughs> the answer is, oh, absolutely. She was an absolute mm-hmm. terror. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> And the mm-hmm. response is, the scribes are like, well, we're out. Like, we're just going to... And they all just start, like, running out because they're like, we're going to piss the queen off. It was, oh, my gosh. That's all at in Impotent 3. And it's just, like, you just see, like, you see Shur's, like, just absolute laser focus on, like, yeah, it, it's, yeah, <laughs> Dino in chat. It's the best moment where time and space bend, and you could just hear the, oh, oh. Oh! Oh no! Oh no! Uh huh.
2: <laughs> funny thing is, for she deduces back in impotent too. Like, who in the court is Mara? Oh
0: yeah, and she hunts her down, and then she gets she mad at her.
2: Follow- well, she follows her, and the- she doesn't. She doesn't necessarily get mad at her right away. Like she's already mad, but she followed the hooded figure to her lavatory and watched Mara work on a bolometer to search for signs of primordial gravity waves. So Mara is actually working as kind of a scientist at this point, building something. And um, it's really kind of an adorable moment where Shur's fury and grief uh, wetted themselves against Mara's thoughtless thoughtless grace and ancient beauty until at last her heart unseamed itself and spilled its hot blood in a shout. It is the very weird thing. Like she's still angry at her but she can't bring herself to kill her. She cries Mara's name and then throws down the matter laser, the MalTech, in front of her. And she says, I cannot live while you live, but I cannot bear to kill you. I challenge you to a duel to the agony. I will fight your most beloved companion to the death and leave you forever maimed or else die in the attempt. So this kicks off the rest of infinite, the rest of the, the arc for Infinite, because this is where she essentially challenges Mara, and Mara's like, All right, I'll bring in my brother. <laughs> and so, but uh, they decide that they can't decide for the to the death, or they can't decide that the contest would be won on a single fight of some sort, mm-hmm. because that would just be very dependent on luck and whatnot. It just,
0: <laughs> and actually, that was uh, Aldrin's call.
2: Yes. Because
0: Aldrin, Aldrin responded with, Oh, no, we don't want to leave this up to chance. Let's make sure.
2: Such <laughs> an old grudge deserves to be tested well. I propose that we fight with blade, rifle, and the fifth generation air superiority fighters, it's a.k.a. airplanes. He's <laughs> just
3: out of the blue.
2: <laughs> I write.
3: It's ridiculous. Like, all I... of a sudden, he's just like, Let's t- fight with, with knives and, and rifles, and then let's hop in our planes.
1: Really i viewed i viewed it as we're
0: going? i viewed it as the progression though because yeah. it's it's hand to hand combat then it's then it's ranged and then it's true like true like notice combat.
2: they don't use the bow yeah like he doesn't allow her to use her bow which i well still which find is interesting n-
0: because the whole point of um it was it was uh oh god i first wishender yeah first off would you want to be on the other end of wish ender
2: uh, uh, no, I've been sniped in, in Crucible with it multiple times today. So, no, not so much.
0: Oh, because he, gonna said, say he said something about it's... Um... Oh, I'm going to have to find it exactly. I completely cannot find it at the moment. But, yeah, it was something about, like, the actual the actual act of the hunt, I think.
2: Which mm-hmm. you're right,
0: though. You're, I mean, which you're right but um I, I always just took that as older and just kind of being like, Yeah, I'm not stupid. You're you don't get mm-hmm. that. Like <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's a freaking ballista.
2: Like <laughs> she uses my favorite auto rifle instead, which I'm totally fine with. The Do you know which tiger, auto rifle
0: she ends up using? The tiger
3: spite. Tiger
2: spite. Yeah. I love that auto rifle. So, yeah, I like
3: how they called out that she used Tiger Spite, and they didn't really say what he used, as far as I remember.
2: Yeah, they really didn't. It
3: was, was kind of weird, because I figured he was going to use, like, a scout rifle of some kind. But it would make sense, because the scout rifles that the Awoken have are kind of Anyway, carrying on. Yeah. Don't know. Uh, he did a, a Carbine. Yeah, that's as far as it got really known. Oh, yeah, yeah, though. yeah, like, like there's not a there's, not a
0: there's like, not an actual name Yeah.
3: Yeah, like no actual model. Like we could probably figure that he used a uh the one that I can't think of now off top of my head. Uh but if if it's like the the similar as the tiger spite, it would be the similar range as the uh that Led scout rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh which also, funny enough or stupid enough, means that the Awoken's weapons really haven't come too far. Uh, which I also find is fairly interesting if they're using a tiger spite uh with different uh Possibly like different enhancements or different attachments on it, of course uh but then they are using that stuff uh now in current day uh awoken territory that just to me is is interesting to know it's a, it's a, it's almost like uh how Star wars hasn't really changed in over ten thousand years apparently anyway
0: well, and I also kind mm-hmm. of see that as similar to um uh bleh, I just blanked. Not the hive, but like how um the the fallen will kind of fixate mm. on uh close combat. Mm-hmm. Like they, I... they kinda they kinda have the fractal knives. Um
2: Right. Well they you, know, you have to think about where they spend most of their time and a lot of it was spent on ships, they weren't out and about too much until they invaded Earth.
0: Right. Well, no, no, no. Right. And then the other thing is with the Awoken, they were hunters. And so you see a lot more prevalence of bows, bows and knives.
2: Well, they, yeah, they, they, the bows in particular are considered some of the good tech, the, the U-tech, the guns, the, the laser guns, like um, Telesta would be a maltech in their eyes because it is.
0: And that's kind of an age old understanding too of the difference right. between you know the usability right a bow or something like that can be used for hunting whereas a gun really in classical you know especially in classical literature and stuff like that in a lot of literature tropes guns are perceived as only being for war like i mean i mm-hmm. know you can you can make this argument back and forth i'm not going to get into that argument but like that's the that's the you know kind of combination there is that Bows are multi purpose. Like, it's like a sword, right? A blade. A blade right. is potentially multiple service, whereas a gun is going to generally be to harm something, to harm someone. Um, right. But yeah, it's. I also do like how in Imponent Four, you see another nod to Sure's personality in the hunt between her and Aldrin. How she mm. just is like, she. Aldrin's like she
1: stirs
3: the <laughs> Aldrin is like the into a master,
0: frenzy. the master hunter who is like able to blend in, and she's just like I just have this picture of her just like stomping through the woods, and she's just like <laughs> just like so anything
2: I, oh he God. did, straight up the <laughs> yeah, it's a it. She's smart; she has a different approach than he does. Whereas, like he approaches very um, agile. He's very agile in his approach and everything. She's very straightforward, and you see that in all three battles. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, oh. I skipped. I skipped the first one, so it's
2: okay. Uh, the first one, I mean, it's the knife battle. It does end in a draw. There's not a, the the thing of note is that Sure calls out Mara and asks if she's afraid. Do you sweat? Does your breath come short? And oh yeah, Mara basically. Says she doesn't really say anything, she just makes sure put her hand to the face, uh, pressed her hand to sure's face plate and left no stain. She held sure's gauntlet to her heart so sure could feel her steady pulse and even breath. Sure said, You don't care about him, it would be nothing if I maimed him. She Mara says, You asked the right questions, but are the wrong sibling.
1: <laughs> so.
2: There's a slight tender moment there, but it's also very dark at the same time as uh, I would imagine everything with Mara would be. But then we get into Infinite 4 with uh, the fight through the forest. Like Blue was saying, um, Aldrin is a master hunter type person um, sleeping through the forest, very um, quiet and whatnot. But the the way that Sure takes on everything. She drove the animals into a frenzy with violence and habitat disruption. Parrots and crows warned each other of Aldrin's stealthy hides and jealous predators forced him out of his carefully scouted trails. Churr caught him with his back against a rift lake and shot him as he tried to cross the lake bed. The wound was not mortal for the water ruined the terminal ballistics, but she had won the match. So first one was a draw. Second one went to Sure. Yeah, you have a very yeah. Go ahead, blue. With that, I think that's apt.
0: Oh, sorry. I was I was actually just kind of typing the the explanations in the each of these com uh, each of these combat situations. Uh, in the knife fight, sure is described as having a straightforward prison yard jab attack, whereas Aldrin has what's called whir- a whirling defensive or whirling deceptive theater. Deceptive which it, it it's exactly kind of what green was just saying it's it's a very um uh lithe and very agile focused uh, he's not so much concerned about hitting as much as he's about dodging and just getting in nicks over time it's more about wearing your opponent down
3: and then One you see could that say death by a thousand cuts yep which mm-hmm. is a, which is a like... valid which is a valid thing um, like I don't know like voice of a thousand moving on, oh gosh,
0: no uh
1: <laughs> but
0: um then you this see you one? see a very similar situation with the hunt uh she mm-hmm. she picks the mm-hmm. auto rifle, he gets a silent- uh silent you know shooter it, it's it's again that kind of nod to the different uh dare I say play styles of these two figures um. And then you you see, but then, and this is where this is where I have to tip my hat to Aldrin because the final battle is where Aldrin throws that entire thing mostly out the window. Mm-hmm. and he like goes, he's like he's been it, it's almost like he's been playing with her this entire time. And on the third battle, he goes straight for the throat and with like without mercy, without hesitation um so what they do is they have agreed of course to do the air fighting uh the air fighters uh and so sure tells him you know basically aldrin's like aldrin kind of plays it up and he's like you know well how do i can how do i know i can trust equipment how do i know that it's going to be actually what you say it is like this is something that i could see you um you know kind of tricking me into you know all this and and it sure gets kind of like she gets a little miffed, and she's like, "Blah blah blah." You know, basically, the jin scribes are going to provide everything, uh, and they'll all the stuff will come from her personal stockpile. And so,
2: sure uh, has a stockpile of weapons. Apparently. Oh yeah, well
0: yeah. apparent well, I mean, it doesn't. That doesn't really surprise me. Of of all the things in these cars, that is not the thing that surprises me a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But and so Aldrin's like, and then Aldrin confirms with her. He's like, "Okay, we will have access to all the weapons these airframes can equip." Um, and she's, and the answer is yes. And if the, we can't, if we can't acquire them, we will replace them with training simulators so that they can, you know, still access them basically. <laughs> and Uldren's response is, okay, then I'm going to fly a dart. And he's like, it sure actually kind of makes fun of him. She says a dart. Sure jeered. Will you fly with its original weapons too. You think you can beat me with rockets and a gun? <laughs> Aldrin and he's with, like mhm. Uh, he's like I do. Do you accept these terms? And so then basically they take to the skies uh and they basically it's like the standard duel they fly they, they you know they take six paces away and turn except they're in ships so it's like 100 kilometers, and turn and she actually dives down because uh the dart has abysmal uh, radar and aldrin just kept just like come straight in and all of a sudden he just says fox three kill engagement over and that's it and yep. she thinks that he's bluffing and she goes to come up underneath him to to you know knock him out of the sky and her her uh was it the hud her panel is, training her, panel her panel just goes Bap, bat, bat, you've been killed She completely forgets that he just atom bombed the entire
2: area. Yeah, (laughs) he was willing to sacrifice himself to take her out in the air to air, because apparently 70 years ago, the last time that dart was serviced included an unguided air to air nuclear rocket.
0: Well, and I don't know if he actually necessarily killed himself. Because I mean, a
2: nuclear a, rocket would take well, no, out quite said, a bit. Well, no, because he said
0: the reason. The only reason I kind of bring that up is like at eighty kilometers of separation, he fires the missile or the fires mm-hmm. the rocket, and then all that you see is that you see Aldrin had simulation killed her and everything within several clicks, like a click is mm-hmm. a kilometer. So several right. clicks. I don't know. I I mean, just to call it out there, but I still love the fact that I mean, he just like he just ruthlessly ripped her throat out and it was just it's again it's you see this this not just cunningness but this willingness of alderans to really just go to unforeseen lengths to make sure that his sister is taken care of that his sister is you know protected and you know what he'll do for mara is just pretty much anything yeah, maids, maids in chat. It's like rock, paper, scissors. Aldrin calls a Nuke. Like, it's. Pretty such- much. Oh my gosh.
2: The thing at the end of this card, though, is if you kept tallied of the wins versus losses, they ended in a tie. So, mm-hmm. Sure actually approaches Mara and says, I leave my fate in your hands. Be uh, more kind to me than you were to my lady of the diastrem. And Mara basically says, Rise, we'll take the stars together. Come with me. You're going to be an asset now instead of a, a liability. And that would lead us into the last card in this arc.
3: Yeah, I'm going to say they're doing that and all the while civilization's falling apart.
2: Pretty much. The,
3: the other thing to call out here is Aldrin is not uh, not above snapping back at Mara over something. <laughs> uh Mm -hmm. he she basically looks at him and says you're about to lose this what are you (laughs) gonna do about it and aldrin looks back at her and just says am i simple and it is one of the most like cutting things that i think i've seen him say to her uh but it's just so on point to saying let me do my work. This is my field. I know exactly what I'm doing.
0: He also has a gunshot wound in his leg at the point
3: at that yeah. time, too. He's so, so angry. Yeah, I'm going to say he's he's really not in his right head at that point. But uh, yeah, that's uh, it's, uh, it, to me, it was just kind of a out of character moment for a second there. It was like, Yowza, he really did just bite her head off. I she she kinda had it coming, Brandon. Right. It was right. one of those absolute mm-hmm. moments where it's like Mara, I don't think you want to say that to him right now. Maybe just step back <laughs> for a second. Give it give it his space. Give it. So but, Infinite
2: yeah, Infinite five, five. Um we have the second queen, uh Naguya Pin is what Blue had said earlier, Ecclesiast. And so she's doing a lot of research and we find out that Mara has basically kind of been using her to do the research for her. And they have a little bit of a showdown, not too much, but it's just the pen doesn't, doesn't have the illusion that Mara is not using her. Like she knows full well that Mara is using her. And she kind of calls her out on it a little bit. She says, you use me to do your work politically and scientifically. You use me to bundle up the scribes in a neat little scroll for your disposal. I went along with it for the sake of the monarchy, Mara, not because I'm a fool. I don't know what you want or why you've so bent on keeping the awoken uneasy and dissatisfied. I don't know how you manipulate the acclamations. But when I abdicate, I'm going to find Elise Lee wherever she's gone and ask her all my questions about you. (laughs) I'm very interested in knowing the answers. And Mara's just like, you've been a wonderful queen. No (laughs) one will ever replace you. And obviously she probably doesn't say it like that, but in my head she does. She's just, she's always disseminating. Always. Everything is a little bit of a, a ruse for her. but. The thing that they've been working on is trying to find these gravity waves. And if you remember back from the original cards of the transformation, the gravity waves, which were sent out by the uh, anomaly ship, kind of kicked off the whole transformation thing. So I'm sure there's other things I'm missing in this card. Do you guys have anything else you want to call on this one?
0: Uh, you get the name of the next queen.
2: Mm. hmm I don't have it up on my...
0: Uh, I believe it, that one is Devna, Devna Tell.
2: Tell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the very last thing in this card, which is kind of the... You finally see Mara and Sajur kind of put things past and become a little bit more than just the bitter enemies slash working for the working for the boss kind of thing it is the most adorable scene I could think of that they would give her but they're getting ready to go up and is it they're putting the telescopes out is that what this
0: uh, it's the one of the last uh, research or sensor site sensor satellites because they're they're at the Lagrange point.
2: Yes, 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 yes. So they're getting ready to send the last one up, and they're going up with the last satellite. And sure, ask Mara. Uh, what do you think we'll find with the satellites? Mara says proof that it's time for us to go. Proof of what I've known since the beginning. Sure, frowns and thought. She doesn't remember much before her awakening. Few of the eight hundred ninety one do so. Shazure was one of the original 891. But enough to trouble her. Time for us to go. The ship's turbines keep keen up to speed and then settle into whisper quiet crews. Shizur reaches to strap herself in across from Mara. Impulsively, hard-faced, denying that she needs what she's asking for, Mara scoots aside to make room for her on the bench. Shazure raises an eyebrow at her. <laughs> Don't say anything mara warns her not a word and so they pass the flight in silence but not alone so mara's just like the equivalent of the elementary school kid who scoots over slightly and kind of pats the seat but instead of being like pat 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 she's just like scoots over to allow her room and is just like if you say something this is going to this is not going to happen i'm warning you it is a kind of an adorable moment though and it Mm
3: it it also feels like another one of those the helmet stayed on moments.
2: <clears throat> yeah, that the boot stayed on. You want to make a, a wow! reference?
3: Wow. Okay then. Wow. <laughs> uh,
2: so there's there's nothing in that that says that. It's just my head cannon. Mhm. mm mm-hmm.
3: Mhm.
2: So beard, you're reading the next card.
3: Oh, don't I know it. <laughs> so the next card is called Catabasis. And for some of you, you may know that this is actually off of a, um, I think it's Mayan? No, it's uh, it's a very Hindu, uh, Hindu relation. Uh, but it's the story, it is the story of, and I don't know why I lost my page here, as bad as I did. I feel like I covered this in another spot. I don't actually write it down here. Uh, but it's a... It's it's used in a few different places. The one that I actually have written here is my definition. It defines as a descent of some kind. Uh, in Greek myth, it could be a trip down a mountain into Hades or fall into madness, uh, etc. Uh, but there is an actual story that's listed off of this, and I'm sure Blue already has that. He's chomping at the bit to talk about it. In the meantime, I'm going to actually read this card. Mara looks into the camera and lets the fire in her eyes speak. They are waiting on her, the distributaries of millions, her awoken people. She has stoked their curiosity with thirty years of painstaking analysis. When they look up at the night sky, they see the stars of her observatories among the crowded bands of habitats, the spindly orbital factories, towering elevator counterweights, the burning roads of matter streams. Let me tell you of our world, she says. There are the facts of tectonics and atmosphere of water and climate, the parameters of the sun that feeds them. No infants died last year. no child went unfed. No youth came of age illiterate. No one suffered illness who might have been treated. We have long suppressed the Utec gathered surpassed the UTech gathered from Shipspire, yet we have grown carefully and cleanly. We have eluded population, uh, pollution, eradicated plague, and chosen peace. No Maltech weapon has been discharged in centuries. Our atomic weapons were dismantled before they could ever be used. We are our own triumph. She has elected not to use graphics or theater. She would rather they remember her face. You know yourselves, they, she says, let me tell you of your cosmos. We live in a spatially infinite isotropic universe, 12.1 billion years old. Its metallically, uh, metallicity, metallicity is ideal for life and for the spread of technological civilizations. In time, the distance between all points in the universe will contract to zero, and the cosmos will collapse into a singularity to be reborn in fire. There will be no end to eternity here. She pauses. She waits. The whole world is out there, begging for the answer to the question. Our world is a gift, and we must refuse it. They are awoken. They love secrets. They will wait for her to explain. We have detected a pattern that was imprinted into our universe by its ancestor, a fingerprint of the initial conditions into which uh, existence was born. From this information, we have confirmed the most primordial of awoken myths. Our universe is a subset of another. We live within a singularity, a knot in space-time, that orbits a star in another world. Conventional reality... Now, relativity would suggest that time outside an event horizon passes quickly compared to a clock within, but our universe has a peculiar relationship with its mother. Thousands of years have passed for us on the distributary. Outside, centuries at most. We are a swift eddy in a slow river. These ideas may not surprise you after centuries of theorizing and philosophy, but we have decrypted new data from the cosmic microwave and neutrino background signals. We have discovered voices, the voices of distress calls. They tell a story of bravery, of war, and of desperate loss. We were not always immortal. We did not earn this utopia by a uh, covenant with any cosmic power or by attaining an enlightened moral condition. We are refugees. We fled from an apocalyptic crash between our ancestor civilization and an invading power. She lowers her eyes. The signals we have retrieved tell us that our ancestors were on the edge of defeat, perhaps extinction. It is time that we accept our debt. The distributary is a refuge not a birthright, a base to rebuild our strength, not a garden to tend. I ask you, Awoken, to join me in the hardest and most worthy task a people has ever faced. We must leave our heaven, return to the world of our ancestors, and take up the works they abandoned. If some of them survive, we must offer aid. If they have enemies, we must share our strength. We must go back to the war we fled and face our enemies there. She lets them dangle a moment before uh, she drives it home. We have also determined that our birthright of immortality is tied to the fundamental traits of this universe. Once we leave, we will begin to age again. In time, we will all die. Will you join me, Awoken? Will you answer my call? All I offer you is hardship and death. All I ask is everything you can offer, but you will see an older starlight. You will walk in a deeper dark than this world has ever known.
2: Mara's got a flair for the drama. That's for
3: sure. Um, I'm going to say her and her brother both realistically.
2: Um, Yeah. Aldrin is like the theater kid that is kind of flailing all over Mm -hmm. the place And Mara is the one who just walks out on stage, doesn't physically do anything, and commands the stage just with her presence. Right.
3: Now, the couple things I wanted to point out on this one, uh, I think it better for uh, something that we'll have to kind of discuss later in other books. Uh, But catabasis does kind of showcase what Mara's overall intentions are. Like, these are the... These are her set of guidelines and laws that she has listed. Uh, this is what she is kind of hoping for and wants to push for uh, as like an an overall in a way. But we kind of find that later on she starts to, I, I guess in a lot of rights, she doesn't do it as quickly as some people would like at least. Uh, or she doesn't really believe in any of this at all. Which mm-hmm. is part of my problem when all is said and done with where I sit and I read this stuff again and I'm like... I I still have no idea, like, where Mara is coming from. So, in chat, it's kind of been discussed that, like, Mara Sov is not an antagonist, and I do believe that. I would say that she's more of a uh, of an anti-hero, if anything else, but she tries to spur her people on to make sure that she can have people that still do her will and her whims. Uh, and I... that's where, again, I don't really say that she is a antagonist or a protagonist at all
2: i yeah i have a very different approach to how i feel mara is because mara is constantly wanting to be from the very first books or very first cards in this book when breifos mara was wanting to be outside of the conventional sense of what's going on she wanted to get away and once the distributary was created she was basically put in this cage with everybody yep. and so in my mind that it is mara trying to get out and trying to find yes she's got immortality in the in the distributary yes there's almost this utopian type existence going on sands the whole civil war and everything with sure Sh- uh, trying to assassinate her. But Mara doesn't like to be tethered down by anyone. She wants freedom. And in some ways she is in the ultimate little cage inside the distributary. So her working to get outside of the distributary doesn't seem out of character to me. Now, the fact that initially um, Mara wanted to go back and help. And I know this is getting into the Awoken of the Reef book a tiny bit. Mara wanted to go back and help the the people of Earth. And Aldrin Aldrin was the one that said no. Mara going back out might have something to also tie into that. I there's no call out for it, but it may be Mara wanting to get out and see what's going on. I for me, I still think it's one of those, she's getting out of this little cage that she's been put in. She's the pretty songbird in the cage at the moment, and she wants out.
3: Well, and in that regard, that's where I I think that your thinking and my thinking are not that dissimilar. Mm-hmm. Her means of doing so, she still needs a people to help her. She cannot oh, do yeah. anything on her own. So, however, she can manipulate and change, which is the... Overall ideas of how these entire this this entire book has gone so far. Mm-hmm. If she can do it, she'll do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, all the same, she is at least telling them what they need to know. Uh, she is not doing it on the uh, on the the outset of saying, "Well, you, you guys will be able to follow me, and it's completely fine. There won't be any problems, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And then all of a sudden, they get there and they're like, "Oh, by the way, you don't have immortality anymore." So I'm no, she's, know that.
2: she's letting so she's everybody a, know ahead of time.
3: yes, but in that respect, it is still being something that's a little bit more sneaky dirty, underhanded, I guess I don't know it, it's it's giving the people what they want, but still keeping the overall plan to herself uh, and she's just and, making
2: the plan look really, really good to everybody.
3: Which we still don't necessarily know what the plan is, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Long-term, no.
3: No. I I, I know that we know parts of it, obviously. We, We certainly know stages, because we have seen stages that have played out. We have physically seen some stages that have played out. But we still do not know what Mara's ultimate goal has been this entire time. Uh, that's at least what I will still argue to this point, uh, but yeah, that's the that's the biggest thing. Uh, Dino, you're asking the question that everybody has been asking me: the plan to fight against Savathun. Now, that's another step. That is absolutely another step. Uh, there is there is an end goal that we still do not perceive. Because we do not have enough information. And I am very convinced about that per this point. Oh, there yeah. is stuff that we are missing that we do not understand nor know about yet. That we can even peg as being the end goal for Marasov And why her goals are still so incredibly veiled in secrecy. And exactly how she wants it. As it is if she had any hand in publishing this book called the Marisena, <laughs> she's not going to give us exactly what she wants. In addition, uh... if she had any hand in what was going on with the Awoken of the Reef or the other portions, I would still say she's not going to give us any ideas. We have the objects that are there of like the, the bomb and sword logics and so on uh, that we'll, we'll of course get to. I hear, I think soon enough, towards the end, yeah. Yeah. Um that are are very important for for understanding all of that. But I think that again her understanding of the the sisters with Oryx, uh Zivu and Sabathun are a step to her ultimate thing. Uh to otherwise think that she is only after Savathun and that is her end goal, uh I really think is kind of like low-minded to what she is after. And I say uh, that in the nicest way possible,
2: I have uh, a... only
3: because there are more problems that we are going to see uh within the cosmos as a whole. again, we do not see the whole picture that she no. does. we simply cannot know
2: nope nope, nope, and I have a bit of theory as to how Mara works within those parameters, but that is totally for a different time that is yeah. not for this episode um i'm
3: gonna say there's a lot of little bits and theories that i think have uh, protruded through with these books now that i'm uh-huh. done with
2: them so in we're to the next to the last arc which is nigh which is oh, i got t- one more thing i'm sorry oh, okay no um, worries.
3: the only other big piece that i did want to call out to is that we actually do get an age for this system that we're in The distributary is said to be about 12.1 billion years old. Uh, I want to take a poll. How old does everybody think Mara is?
2: If you're not counting the the fact that they don't age, she's 19, maybe 20.
3: I mean, I'm going with that, sure. But how old do you think she's been around? Or how long do you think she's been around?
2: Long enough to cause multiple wars.
3: Mm Mm-hmm. If you had to put an age on it, and chat. you can certainly join in with this one, what would it be?
2: 13,000?
3: Mm, That's higher than most that I've heard.
2: I mean, it depends on how long the distributary was open, or Mara was in within the distributary, and then we have the fact that when Mara comes out, the start of the um, Reef Wars was not long after they get out, or at least we're assuming not long after they get out. Mm -hmm. Because if they start to age now, who's to say they don't age slowly in comparison to what they used to. But Mara currently doesn't look like she's ancient in any way, shape or form, but I don't know. It is an interesting thing to postulate. Do you have a a guess?
3: Well, being that the distributary itself has been around for about 12.1 billion years, Mm -hmm. and being how time does pass within it, uh, we would have to figure that it would have to be over a time period of that world settling to a point. And even then, we've seen hints and pieces like um, within uh, uh, heresiology uh, that does suggest that the planet that they are on in the distributary uh, isn't necessarily settled. So it still has some volcanic activity. It still has a lot of, and it seems like it's fairly uh, nasty volcanic activity to that. Uh, We would have to figure that this planet would have to be at least about a couple billion years old in and of itself for them to be on it. Uh, and I'm still kind of wondering if Mara, due to her being the first, and due to her being within that uh, that the the area of the distributary before everyone else and awakening before everybody else, if it isn't somewhere in the area of about a billion years old, because of the. Uh, other pieces and what she kind of figures out, or where where she kind of is along her, her path and understanding what she understood about the place that they were in. Uh, that doesn't come from just sitting back uh, and not knowing more of like what uh, what she would have. Let me let me say it differently. She was seeing more of the observable uh, universe, is what she could see it. Uh, and she grew up in that. She was also very akin, uh, very akin, and very uh, open to being lonely to begin with. And she pretty well craved that i that example and that idea because we see that throughout like the earlier uh, entries within the book, anyway. Uh, so I'm really actually leaning closer to like a, a much higher number. Uh, I've seen as little as 2,000, and I really think that's wrong. I've seen. Uh, as little as, like, five to six hundred, and I'm I'm sitting here going, no, that's entirely wrong. Uh, maybe within, like, our, our years, but with the distributory years and everything like that, no. No, it's, uh, I want to say that it's somewhere upwards of about a billion.
2: It's hard to say at this point because it's a lot of speculation, but I, I would not put it past them to make her that old and be able to hone her skills that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And they've gone through three different queens during the time period. Now granted, they're immortals, so it doesn't necessarily mean that lifetimes mean quite the same thing to them as it does to us. I gotta say that's the problem. What is what is time to an immortal? You know right. that's the
3: that's the biggest problem. So with having recorded times down, the first time that we really see much about time uh is really i think with catabasis, uh we've got like one other entry that says like 50 years pass between here and here mm-hmm. uh and then from there we end up getting catabasis where it's like it's 30 years now that mar has been taking information and then we find out that it's 12.1 billion years that the distributary has been aged so those are the only that i can think of and remember major points in which they um yeah that they uh kind of call out things about time uh, but that's the that's the biggest thing like they, they claim it's been thousands of years for them within the distributary uh, and I really do think that that's at least showcasing or shouting out the ideas of uh, you know most people have been around that long but I've been around longer so well, meh. <laughs> there is
2: one more call out as far as yeah. age and years and it is actually in the next card yep because Mara calls out, "I have worked for many hundreds of years to arrange this outcome,"
1: mm-hmm.
2: but but she like she she continues to go on. Unless, do you mind if we just go ahead and jump into the next card?
3: No, go ahead. I'm I'm good now.
2: So Nye one is the meeting, the beginning of the meeting between Mara and Elise Lee. Because Mara's getting ready to leave, she's made her speech to the people, she's gotten volunteers that are going to leave with her. And she has one last order of business to accomplish before she goes and does that. And that is to go and talk to the first queen, Elise Lee. And she has a very specific reason to do that. And the needless to say, it is kind of a... Bitter reunion. not I would say bittersweet, but there was really not a whole lot of sweetness between the two, beyond just the fact that they were civil, for the most part. But there's a lot of coolness. You get another instance of the tea ceremony Mm -hmm. that we had way back in Brayfos before the transformation happened. And we also get the fact that... um, Besides some just petty talk of saying, the current queen won't endorse me, blah, blah, blah. Um, gonna, queen is saying that she's going, or Elise Lee is going to say, is saying that Mara is going to make a lot of people unhappy. You make the lives of everyone in the world tangibly worse, not just those you've lured into certain death, but those who will grieve their departure and all those who will come to grief for lack of labor and knowledge you took with you. So Mara is going with a lot of technology um this is the card where we get the call back to what alice lee back in brayfos before the transformation told her that i had to consider the symbol people made out of me and if that were good for them i had to be that symbol for them i had to perform as they required i have done so i have been the best thing i can think to be so she's putting it back at alice lee that you're the one who basically told me that this is what I need to be because I was the symbol. Mm. And then, um, Alice does not take to that very nicely. Um, she chips her cup, her teacup, because she slams it down enough to make Mara jump. And she says that I'm at least as clever as you do. Uh, do me the credit of acknowledging it. And then Mara goes on to say, she's worked for hundreds of years to arrange this. And the final question-ish that Elise presents her is, did the diastrum, the Theodicy War, did you arrange it all? Which leads us to Nye 2.
3: And just or, to kind of call back on that one, the um, I have worked for many hundreds of years to arrange this outcome, especially after the tangent that I went on. Uh, That doesn't mean that that gives us any hint, unfortunately, about how Mara or how old Mara is alive. Age-wise, no. Yeah, it just says that this is how long her works have been enforced.
2: Now, as far as her working towards that, she started working towards that pretty much right after Alice Lee came into existence within the distributary. Right. Because she started arranging the different things when it comes to the... God, Why can I not remember the name of the seven verdicts? There we go. Mm-hmm. So she she did start working fairly quickly as soon as Alice Lee came to into existence, as far as we can tell. Yeah. And then it takes us to night two, where Mara says to answer the question of, "Did she arrange it all?" Mara says, "No," which is a lie told with truth. And then the conversation goes on, and Elise Lee basically asks, how much would you sacrifice? Your mother, brother, aren't the Awoken real to you at all? And she... It gets pretty heated.
3: Pretty is an understatement. Yeah. Especially with the, the one line towards the bottom. I, I loved reading this.
2: The You're the Devil line? Uh-huh. You're the devil. I remember in one of the old tongues, Mara means death. Oh, that's too perfect. That's too much. Yeah. Elise Lee does not like her. And especially considering the reason why she's so angry with her at the end. Mm -hmm. Because Mara calls in for that boon. The boon that Elise Lee granted said that she would grant her when time came. Mara asks for forgiveness of all things. She wants forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And Elise doesn't grant Mara forgiveness. She says, I'll support your fleet. I'll use every favor and connection I have to get your hulls completed and through the gateway. I will do so that I can hasten your departure from this world. I will do it out of hate for you. I will do it so that every good and great thing we achieve here ever after will be denied to you, you snake. No forgiveness. Do you understand me? It is unforgivable. Go. And she hurls the pitcher of Blackberry 2 over Mara and turns to go inside. And Mara is sticky and wet and having to leave, but she she did what she meant to do to get out there. She didn't get any forgiveness out of it, but she at least laid her cards on the table somewhat with Elise Lee. Which, blue, takes us to the card that you get to read.
0: This is, this is basically the conclusion, uh, ultimately. Um, so this is Palogenesis 1. And it starts and it says, Mara thinks of the banyan trees that sprawl across the shallow, silty lakes of a world she will never see again. The waveguides in her helmet detect the image and obey the encrypted command scheme she's rooted into every system in her fleet. She speaks into the flight directorate channel. Flight. Sound off for final hold. Fido. Go flight. Guidance. Go flight. Inco, Good constellation. Go flight. Geode. Go flight. Bio. Go flight. As her flight controllers confirm the state of their technical domains, Mara looks out into space through the synthetic gaze of her sensorium. The hulls gleam in the stark blue-white light of the star, and each ship a silver sea pod braced by immense structural members and cocooned in reservoirs of spectrally adaptive smart fluid, theoretically enough to survive the horrible forces of transit through a singularity. Mara orders herself not to crane her neck, but she does it anyway, and gets a terrible cramp as she searches the sky for the distributary. There it is. The world of her rebirth, shining water blue and beautiful, wrapped like a gyroscope in its twin rings. World of laughing corsairs, world of breathless forest hunts, world of mountains flickering with pale Chirconov fire, world of sweet berry-stained lips and mathematical insight pure as a rhodium chime. She will never see it again. Mara thinks of her mother. She doesn't want to, but she does, and the memory blindfolds her and muzzles hers and plugs her ears so she can hear nothing but Osana's voice on that final night. They're tipsy together, and the evening has wrapped around to morning. Now they sit side by side, mother and daughter, watching the sun rise over the Chisied Range from Osana's little ranch house on the tundra. I'm not coming with you, Osana says. Mara has been so afraid of this answer for so long that she actually giggles. This can't be happening, of course. This is a nightmare, one of those stress dreams where your powers of persuasion and manipulation fail. Sure, Mom, she says. You got a ranch to run, after all. More? No, thank you. Osana squints into the dawn. Little age creases around her, surround her eyes. Illegible encryption, unbroken despite Mara's centuries of effort. The rising light draws a tear. You'll have to send my goodbyes to Aldrin. He's not speaking to me. What? Mara gasps as if this is the real shock and not losing her mother forever. Why? Because I already told him I wasn't coming with you. I'm happy here. Mom, Mara says with rising anger, I'm, I'm happy here too. That's not the point. A conversation that did not so much as end as beat itself into an unstable, unstainable emotional pulp hours later. No catharsis, no closure. Back in the present. Weapons, Aldrin calls. Go flight. Go flight, Mara confirms. The clock is counting. L minus five minutes. Directly off her hull's bow, a sphere of ultra-dense mass awaits for the moment of implosion and collapse. There will only be moments to transit the wormhole before it evaporates. Flight sensor, Sure Ado calls. I have anonymous star occlusions bearing intercept, Mara shouts. They're missiles. It had to happen. Someone had to try to stop the departure. Someone good and pallid and pure who believes they are saving tens of thousands of awoken from madness and doom. Flight, Fido, do we abort? Negative, Mara snaps. The countdown is go. Weapons, kill the inbounds. Ido grunts in dismay. They're going to get through, she says. Five or six at least. Uldren, Mara opens their personal channel with a thought of his face. Reassign your guns to protect the gateway. We'll lose holes, Mara. I know. Do it. Mara opens the command interface for the gateway and sends the image of a bloody thorn. The countdown skips instantly to zero. All ships, we are aborting directly to launch. Brace for acceleration. She issues the emergency launch order. The hull screams with thrust. Mara's suit floods with cushioning gel. She thinks of her mother's face, trying to fix it perfectly in her mind, and her sensorium tries vainly to open a channel to Asana. As the whole plunges into the singularity, the last thing Mara sees is the mournful error message. No connection. No connection. No connection. Cannot connect to Asana.
2: Such a sad card.
0: Yeah, and, and the other thing, I mean, yes. It's one of the cards that you kind of see the humanity of and not like the, the mortality of Mara, like the, the realistic, um, uh, personification Mm -hmm. of her, like the, the bringing her down from the pedestal that a lot of people have put her on. Um, Mm -hmm. she's not able to convince everyone. It's one of her greatest failings, I think is not convincing her mother to, to come with her, I guess. But the other thing here, and this is something that we were talking about a little bit before, before the show started, um, the other thing of note here is this very ending. Uh this very ending you see someone, uh we we don't know who, there's no there's no there's no acknowledgement as to who gave the order, but someone is trying a last ditch effort to literally kill the awoken who are planning to go through the singularity. Um and by doing so this transitions into uh the awoken of the reef very actually explains a lot because in the Awoken Other Reef, we see them come through. We see them on the other Mm -hmm. side, uh, In Revanche is really where that comes through. Uh, And and Revanche, you know, similar to kind of how we've been talking about the different meanings of the names here, uh, Palingenesis is really just kind of uh, the concept of rebirth or recreation. Um revanche is the process of retaking lost land. Uh we talked about that a little bit uh when we were talking about the lore updates way back. Um and and so there's there's this palogenesis, the concept of rebirth and this this recreation of their race on our side, on the on the side of the mother universe or the mother system. Uh and and so you see right here and you know you you always have birth is always assigned with uh with not only creation with not only creation but exactly it's it's messy it's violent in a way and right here you kind of see an added layer of violence because now not only do you have the violence of having to go through the singularity they are literally going through under fire and so when they come through in you, you have an understanding of why they are so desperate, why they are kind of scattered where they come back through. Because technically speaking, if it had gone perfectly according to this plan, they would have come through and it would have been a much different story, right? You know, you would not have had the awoken of the reef as they exist today because the awoken of the reef that exists today are actually still rebuilding. They are rebuilding not only what they have lost, but they're also trying to find their way in a new world. And the thing here is that it just highlights the fact that even now, I think it 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 highlights the fact that Mara and Aldrin's paranoia, uh, even now, is reaffirmed. Uh, you see here that someone, even at this point, even when they are at that very last step of this of the plan or of this particular plan, someone tries to stab them in the back. Someone tries mm-hmm. to prevent them. And I think that's important to remember from, from a, a character development standpoint, because this basically reaffirms the idea that secrets need to be there. They need to have a separation between what the people that they're, do, they're dealing with and what they're actually doing. Because every time it seems, especially every time they open up, something happens that actually does come back and slap them down you know and that's that's kind of a, a another kind of theme that has been kind of repetitive throughout it's not as present and it's not as overt but it does seem that every time mara kind of stops being secretive and not that she ever really stops but every time she kind of is like okay this is what we're going to do something like this does eventually happen and i think that also kind of explains the the degree of unhealthy obsession that Aldrin and her have with secrets, I think is also kind of tied into this particular piece right here. Cause this is, I mean, this is the final goodbye, right? Mm -hmm. This is, this is the final goodbye to their, their people. They, they, I mean, this is, these are people. And you also understand that ever since the theodicy war, you know, again, going back, we are our own triumph ever since the theodicy war, there hasn't been MalTech fired. Well, now, now they have rockets being shot at them. You know, it's it's just again that kind of it, it's a bittersweet ending to this this left, this departure from paradise. I guess is what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah, it's the it's kind of a coming of, coming of age
1: mm-hmm.
2: ending to this whole story, or at least to this portion of the story. Uh. Which leads us to the closure of this book, which is tied into the palogenesis, And it is kind of like the beginning of the book with when Mara gave us the Arquilliqui and the introduction to the whole thing. This is also likely Mara herself pinning this. It's very, it caused quite a stir within the lore community. Let's just say that. And I'm sure we'll talk about it at least a little bit. The bomb method at the end. Mm -hmm. So here is Palingenesis 2. Here in this time without time, pocketed by ever scattering cosm, touched by an assassin, touched as an assassin touches the gun in the secret fold. There is an eon within, and I am going without. This is where we belong interstitial, in that space between. This is where truth collapses, supercritical. There is a war, and its name is existence. There are two ways to fight. One is the sword, and one is the bomb. By the sword, I mean the way to fight that is tempered and solid, the way that is made from old things, and that triumphs by the reduction to simplicity. This way is known to those who study the cosmos. Take any part of it at any time, and you'll see an edge and say, this is a weapon. By the bomb, I mean that way of being that is complex and schematic and must attain a critically, must that must attain a critically to attack. The way that is made from new things and that triumphs by the arrangement of intricacy. This way is known to those who study themselves. Take any component of the bomb in isolation and you will say, What is this? I cannot understand its purpose. Yet it is in the possibility of a fire. Numberless are the spaces that surround the universe. Subordinate and the superordinate are their relationships to the intrinsic world that is only itself. We pass now through analogy space that will reify what was once subject into object. That power I held, which was agonist to a mother's reapproachment and will be realized and reified. First is the awareness of my vector, which all who follow me held in their hearts. Second is the desire to hear my speech, which all who follow me curled in their ears. Third, is the existence at the fault which is the inner tension that all who follow me still sense we are risen from man and fallen from heaven we made again we are made again in the fall what was once us will not ever be us again or ever again be us i am the uncrowned ever queen and my only diadem will be the event horizon of the universe which might is my dominion by falling i will arise there are an uncountable number of ways between zero and two when i was reading that the first time i may have had to stop more times for this one card than any other time because of a lot of these words just fyi
3: it is written in Mara's speech, which we all know is not exactly the uh, most straightforward thing in the world.
2: No, it's not. What's interesting though is like the the concept of the bomb.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's the fact that she calls it. It is a study unto themselves, like to to study yourself to know thyself. It. I don't know. I kind of want to hear your guys's. It makes me Thoughts tingly inside this. it makes you tingly inside that is Do- oh my awkward. god,
0: like it's like the biggest ph- philosophical nod we've seen so far. Know yourself, right. it's the mm-hmm. oracle of delphi like it's just to to be to be honest like it's again it's going back to the entire obsession with secrets, secrets and critic and and you know the the whole the whole nod to um complex complexity mm-hmm. whereas and this is also a this is also kind of you can see this a bit in a parallel to Toland right In uh what is a ghost fragment darkness but what I was what I was meaning by that is it's a connection back to the Orpheic, uh or the delphic delphi oracle and socrates mm-hmm. right it's the whole it's the whole know yourself i mean sun Tzu for I mean, you pick pick a philosopher and this is a huge proponent of the basis of any um, victory, you know, Machiavelli, Sun Tzu, uh, you know, just any any culture, any philosopher, anything. They all have this as a core component of know yourself, because if you know yourself, you know what you're fully capable of. And, you know, and that's just, you know, the full truth, like be honest with yourself here with the logic of the bomb or you know bomb logic whatever you want to call it i know that triggers some people i don't really understand why but it is what it is but here you see that mara is is not only acknowledging and exactly wicked just said this in chat here the point of the bomb the logic of the bomb is that you not only know your strengths but you know your weaknesses. You know what to shore up against. You know what to prepare to to defend to to rally when you really need to. And that is that is the the pinnacle of knowledge if you're going to do something as complex as what is being done within her story. Because if you are not aware of your weaknesses, if you are not Fully and bluntly honest with your own shortcomings, you're not going to be able to overcome them. You're not going to be able mm-hmm. to have the resources present in the form of Sure, in the form of Aldrin, in the form of Petra, in the form of the Awoken in general. You're not going to know that in or if you don't if you don't know yourself. And that's where right. you kind of see this um, this kind of display of coin with other people because she is so self-aware in a way that she is, she is comfortable with what she is trying to do. She understands what she's trying to do. She understands where her, where she stands, and so she knows how to accommodate for those shortcomings on her own behalf. You see that within the Mara Senna. You see that within the Awoken of the Reef. She is blunt with herself. You know, we, we kind of talked about that in part A. We, you know, she, she doesn't pull punches about herself even when she's talking about that. Right. And so, and, and, and yeah, Wicked again is, you know, the, the, uh, the military philosophy of know your enemy. You love them as you would yourself until you become one and the same. And then, then all of a sudden it's easy to defeat them.
2: The other side of the that equation is that Mara versus, if we're going to take the sword logic versus the bomb logic and mm-hmm. the Hive versus the Awoken, Mara knows how to utilize those around her.
0: Exactly.
2: Versus orcs who is a solo.
0: Well, there's, there's, and then that, I mean, that ties into the whole allocentro verse and argument as well. Um, even the awoken, which you could argue is even more egocentrical than the guardians they are still allocentric in the sense that Mara is able to utilize people whereas Oryx and the higher the very strict hierarchy of the hive it, they they use people but they don't inspire loyalty in those people they it's It's the whole Machiavellian thing you know it's it's do you be feared or are you loved? Uh, Mara is kind of a combination of the both, uh, whereas Oryx has definitely gone the Machiavelli route and just gone, you know, you will fear me. Um, but the other thing here too, is you see a really good definition of what Mara is arguing is at the basis of the, the war for existence. We already have had Toland. We've already seen that argument. And now you have a new player on the scene, a new pair of eyes on the scene and so there's a different theory here and that's the other thing to keep in mind with this particular thing is this is kind of you know a philosophical debate on the rules of existence from a from a creature who has kind of had a different experience than the rest of the people who have weighed in on this debate so far Mm
2: -hmm. so take
0: take that into mind as well um and again i don't i don't understand why people get so bent out of shape about the bomb logic thing i I mean, it's to me, it's just another. It's just another paradigm to be introduced to be evaluated.
2: It's just we've had sword logic as kind of the predominant method for so long that course, I think the introduction also... of the bomb logic just kind of threw everybody that there is another way. I mean, that but
3: why? Why would that? Me that there would be a different? Uh, line, yeah, I honestly, was about to say I... the.
0: The, and it, sorry, it's, Beard, just real quick. The only reason yeah. we've had sword logic so predominantly is because the Hive have been predominant.
2: Right. But the other thing is, like, how many times have we, as a Focus Fire Chat crew, debated the aspect of Guardians using somewhat of a sword logic? I know it's not the exact same thing, but we've used to debate that fairly often. That's we ourselves use sword logic to accomplish our, t- our goals.
0: Oh yeah. And again, I would go back to argue that was within the paradigm that we had present to us. Now we have a new, a new facet to allow uh, more further exploration of the, the demeanor of what we're doing or the underlying, you know, ethos, I guess, or whatever you want to call it of what we're doing. And, and it's just, you know, I don't know. To me, it makes a lot of sense because this is one of the things that I was arguing when we had the Sword Logic is that, and I remember I had this, I actually had a similar conversation to what she's explaining here with Damo uh, way back, way, way back when we read that first card. Because one of the first things we asked was, it was like, okay, but ultimately what happens in, in the presentation that we get of Sword Logic, there's only two options, survive or die. Well, there's actually a third option. And it's called coexistence, and that is in reality something that is viable. Um, now you can argue all you want that evolution technically creates its own thing, but there is not there is a limit to the logic of the sword that is not addressed in in that logic. This presents a new. You know whether you want to call it logic, whether you want to call it a way of of you know differing differing from the sword logic, however you want to call it, I don't I don't really care. It's a different paradigm, is what it is, um, and it's basically saying that there is another way to see the world and to interact with it, and that's a hundred percent legit. Like that, every person is allowed to have their own paradigm, and and you know. Go out on the street in the real world and ask someone about the purpose of life, and you're going to get a different answer for every single person you ask. It's just the way it is. Sorry, Beard. What was that? What was? What, what were you going to say?
3: Uh, well, I've got something else on that angle, but I wanted to uh, actually bring up side real quick. So give me a moment. For those not familiar, it's another uh, in the uh, the the next book within this series is the Awoken of the Wreath, uh, and from here we start to see some other stuff that goes on with uh, with Mara. Uh, I almost feel like it's worthwhile kind of bringing this up only because it ties back into the ideas of the sword and the bomb logic pretty well. Uh, in the card uh, Tyrannicide One. Uh Mara talks about a few things that kind of happen, like other players that happen uh, before her death and around. Uh, she also talks about Route 81, which I had to sit and think about for a second ago. A Dewey. Anyway, she also talks, though, that she's uh, that she dreamt of sword and bomb. Uh, I'm going to actually read some of this stuff because I think it's worthwhile. I dreamt of sword and bomb. I dreamt of the self-honing blade that has cut itself so fine, it pierces the world and thus becomes the world. It is self-honing because it constantly wets itself against itself. I dreamt of death bearing this blade, or of something so closely allied with death as to be its synonym, so that to separate them would require a knife sharper than sharpness. Death raised up that blade, and I said, I cut all, and all I cut. Ayat. Then death cut the bomb, and the bomb was broken and could not fire. I was in the bomb. I knew what death was uh, that death was the cut verb, and that its only verb was to cut. Shapes and Gliders I dreamt of existence as a game of cellular automata. In this metaphor, there were only two things. Shapes in the game world, and the rules of the game world. The rules were the rules of life and death. I understood that the sword was the desire to escape existence as a shape in the game and to become the rule that made the shapes. This rule said only live or die. It had only other outp- uh, it had no other outputs. It could not keep secrets. Against it was the desire to become a shape so complex that it could within itself play other games. And I, yeah, a little bit more. What will soon be? I dreamt that the sword that was death and rule sought out complexity and cut it to reveal the simplicity new, uh, within. I knew that soon we would be cut, for we were complex and full of secrets. I knew that it was coming. I knew that the stroke would fall and I, that I had to stop it. How can a bomb make use of a sword? How can the rule that separates life from death? Be killed, and what I wanted to bring this up for, for the most part, really comes back to this idea that uh, you know, even even sword logic in and of itself is not necessarily a a a logic or much else. It is simply a thing that, uh, as we've also seen, even within the books of sorrow, and even I believe Oryx has said so as well. Uh, it's rules of cosmos. The ideas of the bomb are basically just simplifying things into the ideas of this is what the light is versus the sword where it's more so this is what the rule of the cosmos or the trying sword or the, the trying way or seeing if you uh, outlive your sun is all about. Meanwhile, the ideas and complexity of a bomb goes with the ideas of working with others and goes with the ideas of Expanding your technology, or expanding your will, or expanding others uh, to work with each other uh, more than it is in terms of uh, you know going out and forcibly taking or forcibly uh, killing off all that that does not survive what it is that you're doing to it. Uh, it's it's another legitimized idea of light versus dark, and I I, I kind of hate that they. Almost instituted this idea of uh of, of bomb logic the way that they did because it really did kind of simplify it a little bit more uh, but it was already hanging there this is this is nothing new whatsoever uh so to me that's why I kind of looked at it and was like well it's a good little analogy, but sword logic was always a good little analogy as well for like how things would have worked against uh against a sword either you're cut by the sword or you're not uh, either you die by the sword or you don't. Uh, and these are the, like that's the basic simple uh, possibilities and why they showcase the way they do. Uh, within this card, the I, the ideas of like the uh, the automata, uh, there were only two uh, rules: either live or die. Uh, so again, you either live or you die by the sword. Uh, but the bomb is is a complex piece, and that's what the light has always kind of been about uh but a bomb still has the ability to kill and that is ultimately i think what it comes down to uh we we see these but again they're just kind of like analogies more than anything else uh but that's the biggest thing that i that i think i wanted to to pop up there uh just to kind of expand on that notion a little bit more cuz i don't think they round out the ideas fully with uh, within palingenesis uh, within what the sword and bomb logic kind of are. And there's a few other entries that really build into it. But I hope that helps the understanding a little more. I hope, uh, hope you guys understand why I wanted to bring that up, because I think it's worthwhile.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And then, uh, Blue, you had said the other thing was um, coexistence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can take your vex trickery out of here. I don't need the vengeance.
0: Okay. <laughs> Look, if uh, we're all the same, we all survive. Okay, that's all that. That's all that matters, right?
3: Ba- ba- basically, <laughs> I'm gonna say what what will is there if no will exists?
0: <laughs>
3: exactly. Exactly. It's logical. Yeah. Come probably, on, EXO. It's completely come on, logic. Come on, EXO. Let's go. Look, I can, I can completely understand where you're coming from with that. That doesn't mean I have to like it. But that's, that's, a, that's the ideas behind uh, Destiny as a whole. I've, I've said it many a time, I think, at this point. Uh, Destiny is a, a war of philosophy and uh, a war of, uh, of different ideologies that exist. Uh, it really isn't a war of people. It's it's now turning into something that's a little bit more like, well, this is cosmic law fighting uh, or the the will to live is fighting against cosmic law. So how does cosmic law bend or does it at all uh, towards the will of those that want to live within it? Uh, Just as our situation is here on Earth, we are we are a people that want to break free of our sphere at one point, at least I would assume so. Uh, but in that regard, how would the how would the cosmos deal with us or allow for us to do so? Uh, it's what Carl Sagan had talked about for years before his death. Uh, it's what many uh, astrophysicists also think about as they, they kind of go about their day to day lives. Uh, and the the concepts here that we're seeing with sword bomb and uh, convergence are far from uncommon. Uh, they are, they really are basics in philosophy. Uh, it's just a matter that they've dressed them up in a, in a very nice theatrical way. Uh, so it's fitting that we've got, you know, Oryx and Mara to be that the, at the heads of both of those.
0: Yeah. And ultimately I think that sums up why, why I don't, I mean, like Bearded said, I, I don't see this as any, I see this as just legitimate, legitimately acknowledging something that was really already there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like I didn't. I mean, that's why. I, that's that's where my my line of like I'm I'm not really sure why everyone got upset about this, or well, some people got upset about this. Um, it's, some
3: got upset. Some were very happy that there was like a a, a finally means nod to kind of under a nod to like what well, was it's going on and right
0: like that. I do. I mean, and and that's me as well. I was like, you know, hey, look, it's a, it's a competing paradigm and like beard I 100% agree with you. I think that's a, a clarification on what destiny is really kind of going for from a story standpoint is that it is a conflict of ideas. It's, you know, that's what I mean ultimately isn't that what every war is about?
2: Yeah, it's just it's it's such a thick text both well, in size and
3: the density of what's in it. And that should give credence to like how the Bungie writers have been throughout most of this. Uh, now that I am, as I've said before, now five entries away from being done with every entry that destiny, uh, the forsaken at this point now has to offer, mm-hmm. uh, or really that destiny as, as a whole has to offer. Uh, there is a big difference between a writing team at Bungie that is stifled and one that is allowed to do what they will, and there is definitely a a very different tangible feel uh when you start to see that uh we start to get these uh these kind of thoughts and how everything kind of moves and how people interpret things um but i did I did want to ask real quick green because I feel like i I rolled in and I stole everything that might have been there. Was there anything you wanted to add on to like the the sword and bomb stuff a little bit more, because I'm just curious on your, your thoughts on it. Like why why I guess people were upset about it or, or not upset, or I don't know.
2: I think it was just the introduction of a new logic in their minds. It, right. That was really the big thing that I saw in multiple chats, not just focus fire chat, but also even in some chats that aren't lore-based, people yep. got kind of up in arms about it, not in a negative way, but just really latched onto the concept. Now there's a r- fairly decent reason why we have a new logic. And I think that kind of goes into my shout out slash um, thing. I posted in chat for the guys to see a second ago, a few minutes ago, uh, one of the Bungie writers, Malazie at Malazie, mm-hmm. she tweeted out that Seth Dickinson has a new book out and mm-hmm. Her tweet was essentially saying, Hey, Destiny fans, Seth wrote the Books of Sorrow, the Mara Senna, and the Forsaken Prince. Many of you really like to read his work. Consider supporting his new book. And it has a link to his new book on Amazon. But now we have confirmation on who wrote this and why it's so similar in some respects to the Books of Sorrow. And considering what we did three episodes on the Books of Sorrow when, that, when we did it
1: years yeah. ago at this yeah.
2: point... And now we've done two episodes on this, and that could have very easily have been three. It, it, I mean, it's apparent that it's Seth writing this, and Seth has a very particular style in his storytelling, and we're seeing it for sure. So if you are so inclined to go and support Seth's new work, um, definitely look up Malazee. It's um, at M-A-L-L-O-Z-E-E. It's her tweet, and it'll give you a link to his tweet, which is sending you to there. If you follow Seth, just go find it from Seth's page. It's a lot easier. But I just saw this mm-hmm. pop on my feed just now, and that will be my shout out for the evening.
3: I gotta say, it uh, it makes a lot of sense that Seth would have been the one to write those three mm-hmm. because that all three all three of them are I mean, obviously like books of sorrow was our for many of us, I think our first introduction to how Seth writes, but, uh, the Marasena and Forsaken Prince very much aired towards how Seth wrote. And it felt like the books of sorrow all over again, but
2: oh, it uh, did.
3: Yeah. That explains kind of why. Uh, I guess, yeah, we're, we're on chat. Um, I, I don't have too, too much since Friday at this point. So I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, just pretty cool that uh, that everything was kind of going. Uh, I I like the fact that we split this up. Uh, I'm also glad that I know we uh, we didn't hit our two hour timetable here, but that's fine. Uh, but it I think helped, and I hope that all of you guys kind of agree too that by splitting this book up, it it helps to understand it a little better, uh, and then to also kind of get your brain working into. Uh, some of the next stuff that we have to, to still look into and cover, because uh, as Bungie is very good at doing, and what the writers are very good at doing, they're very good at presenting something and then making you think about it further uh, by presenting more questions. Because the with, with just this little tirade we've had here with like bomb and sword logic being in comparison, uh, that could be a show in and of itself, realistically. Uh, Ooh, it's an option. Is... Oh, it's it's certainly an option. Um, but those are like we're we're still in the outset of kind of realizing some of this stuff. But I- I'm seeing chat over here kind of firing off, and I'm I'm still having to sit back and go, yes. But all of this already existed. There is no ethos. There is no mythos. There is no religion. It is simply what you guide by and what you think on. Mm-hmm. uh but that is where you have to sit back and and start to take in your own thoughts and your own philosophies of what kind of stuff has been written uh cuz if i as i have constantly been reminded of by myself uh, as i've read over these books now uh there are so many little bits and pieces that they have taken from other areas of either literature writing or otherwise and i guess that's where my entire roundabout shout out is going here uh with finally getting the time to sit down and read all of it uh, and being forced to go into book six now that I have handwritten, uh, I am continuously blown away by what a open and able-to-do-what-they-want-to writing team uh, Bungie has in comparison to what I have read or sat through in a lot of other games, so... Uh, to the Bungie Riders, to Z, to Jill, who I get a chance to talk to every now and again, uh, to Seth, uh, and to all the others whom I'm trying to remember your names as best I can. Uh, y'all do great work. Y'all make me think. Uh, I all I always have to like go back and check into uh, other philosophies or other ideas that I never knew of previously uh and you guys have been educated enough to understand this stuff way before i could or you you had to do the same kind of uh backtracking and then break down like what what a thing actually is etc uh so to be the deconstructionist that i am the Anwar that i am mm-hmm. uh thank mm-hmm. you very much for all that you do new nickname, yeah.
0: new nickname achieved um <laughs> No, I mean, again, I'm kind of going to just basically echo both of you on that. It's it's just been it's nice to have the refresh of information to delve through uh, and especially, you know, kind of echoing Beard's statement here, especially when that new information has the depth and the breadth. Really, it's not just deep information. It's also a lot of information. Uh, so again, you know, <clears throat> you see that a lot throughout this this particular lore community, you know, some, some of us have been kind of slow in getting Forsaken analysis out. And we said this at the beginning of Forsaken, and I'm going to say it again, it's it's not because we aren't working on it, it's because there is so much to go through. We want to make sure that we understand exactly, you know, our thoughts, our our responses are accurate and all that. So there's there's that and we just you know, again, huge huge shout out to you guys as as consumers of the content that we create in the patients, you know. I, I think that's that's a big big thing too that I'm always blown away with. But um yeah, that's really Especially that's really with
3: it. my community yeah. when I haven't posted I, a new video about I mean, more in the last I mean. like month and a half. <laughs>
0: Beer, don't worry. I'm going on three years and not posting a new video and everyone still listens to me ramble. So it's, it's okay. <laughs> right. Isn't, doesn't that work? doesn't isn't that how that work now anyways uh, no and, I mean but again I think it's I think it's again it's it's a it's a testament to the patience of of the particular community right I think it's a testament to the people want to make sure there are our, our understanding that we want to make sure that the information that we provide is is somewhat accurate and, and we, we have our opinions obviously and you know that's what Beard has been saying too so just a big shout out to you guys again you know thank you so much for your patience but if that's all I'm gonna say we wrap this up, and we will see you guys not in a full week but soon after um, and then so next time we are on stream, we will be talking about the extra lore content for uh October, and that will be over bloodborne, which I am desperately trying to wrap my head around so if I suddenly go insane in chat, that is why um but you guys have a great week um it's been a rocky start for for those of us that i've talked to um hope it gets Mm -hmm. better for everyone else i will be getting this episode out excuse me i'll be getting this episode out as soon as possible uh for everyone but yeah hope whenever it gets this to you uh you guys are having a great week talk to you guys next With that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us for the live streaming of the episodes, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. Links to our episode archives can be found at www.focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any comments or questions for our team concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback and a rating over on iTunes as well. Also, be sure to check out all of our amazing partner podcasts within the Guardian Radio Network over on theguardiansofdestiny.com. So until next time, focus your fire and may your light shine bright.
3: Before you go to, yes, just, uh, just remember this is the end of side B. Yeah, Very enough. Very nice. I'm going to clip that and keep it.